I'm Danny DiCrescenzo. And I'm Brianna Brujak. And we are joined by Dr. David Peña Guzman, an Associate Professor of Humanities and Liberal Studies at San Francisco State University. Today, we will be discussing his philosophical research and his upcoming book, When Animals Dream, which combines neuroscientific and behavioral research on animal sleep with philosophical theories of dreaming. Dr. Peña Guzman, it's a pleasure to speak to you today. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. So our first question for you is, how did you become interested in philosophy? Well, I majored in philosophy when I was an undergrad, uh, and I began taking courses because I realized that it was the first subject that I took classes in that really challenged me more so than other uh, disciplines. And uh, I took a few courses that had me scratching my head, unable to figure out some of the solutions to the questions that were being posed by the professors, and that was enough to get me hooked. And a decade later, here I am, a professor of philosophy who is still scratching his head uh, without many answers, but maybe a few more better articulated questions by now. Um, so what sparked your desire to write When Animals Dream? So when I finished my degree in philosophy as an undergrad, I had already an interest in the philosophy of the environment, in our relationship to nature, in the future of the climate. And when I began my PhD program, I came to the realization that animals form a pretty central, fo form a pretty central part of that equation. I, I came to the realization that you cannot really think about the place that humans occupy in nature or about the impact that a lot of human activity is having on the planet without recognizing, on the one hand, the fact that humans are animals, even though we tend to forget it, um, and also that probably a good portion of the impact of, of our actions on the natural world, the impact is typically borne by non-human animals. So I began pivoting when I started studying philosophy more rigorously in my PhD program to thinking about the role that animals play in, in environmentalism, in the philosophy of biology, in the philosophy of science. And I started asking questions about how fundamental concepts that philosophers talk about often, think about ethics, think about language, think about politics, how all those questions start to change once you introduce animals into the picture. So, you know, what do we mean by language? What do we mean by mind? Why do we mean by social organization? Once you start thinking across species lines. And so I came through it through the environment, but then it sort of expanded a little bit more to what is now known as animal philosophy. You mentioned all the questions you asked and the thoughts you were having when thinking about the book. What was the specific research like to write the book? What went into that aspect? Yeah, so the book that I wrote, When Animals Dream, is about the philosophy of animal, it's about the philosophy of animal cognition and consciousness, as well as the philosophy of dreaming. And so the research for that had to be split into two tracks, if we want to use uh, a visual metaphor here. Uh, on the one hand, I had to do some work on the history uh, and the philosophy of dreaming itself. Uh, what is dreaming? What does it mean to generate these sometimes visually stimulating images when we are asleep? And how have scientists and philosophers across history understood 
this aspect of human experience. And so I, I had to do a good amount of reading on, on the philosophy of dreaming, as well as the, the neuroscience of dreaming, because we have learned quite a great deal about what the mind does when we fall asleep since the 1960s um, with the rise to dominance of, of neuroscientific methods um, and, and technologies that allow us to, to study the brain much more closely. So that was the first track, uh, getting clear about what dreaming is, what it signifies uh, and why it's significant for thinking about the mind and the psyche. Then the second track of that was the question about animals. Um, my interest in writing this book was to formulate an argument about the nature of animal consciousness using the dreams of other species as a starting point. And that meant that I had to do a lot of research about the science of animal sleep. Uh, surprisingly, there is a ton of research out there about how animals sleep, why they sleep, what happens to their bodies when they go to sleep but almost no research out there about animal dreaming specifically. Uh, and so I had to move through a lot of scientific research to try to find what I thought to be evidence that other animals also experience these, these visual or maybe not necessarily visual in the case of, of other animals, but these sensory scenes, um, sensory images uh, during sleep. And so it, it was on the one hand thinking about dreaming uh, in a more systematic and philosophically robust way, and then doing a lot of research in, in biology and neuroscience to try to figure out if I personally could make the argument that other species also experience their own form of dreaming. So When Animals Dream is your first book. What was it like to write and publish it for the first time? Writing a book, I once heard it described as having a really ugly, loud baby that doesn't leave you alone, and that just cries uh, at you from like behind uh, your back. And that's definitely how I experienced writing this book. Um, on the one hand, you think about the book that you're writing all the time, even when you're not writing. Uh, you try to do things to take a mental break from it, and you just hear the screaming and the wailing of your... Um, child that's still in draft form um, from all sides of the room. So there is um, definitely a stress that, that comes with writing a book. You sense a different kind of pressure. And so that kind of fear and anxiety that a lot of writers report about the writing process, I definitely experienced. And even though I've written a lot of things in the past, typically articles, I found the psychology of writing a book to be significantly different. And I'm not yet, I don't have enough distance from the project yet because it's only coming out um, in, in a few weeks next month to really know what the difference between the psychology of writing smaller pieces and the psychology of writing a long continuous argument that is almost 300 pages long is, but, but I definitely experienced it. Uh, very intensely. So on the one hand, it was very stressful, but there is also a huge sense of gratification that comes not just from finishing the whole project, from you know putting in the final bows and the final details on the finished product, but even gratification from those moments when you figure out whether it be a small transition 
or find the perfect quote um, or find the perfect opening for a chapter. So it was, it was a combination of negative emotions punctured by these experiences of positivity here and there. Um, but I, I do definitely plan to write another one, even as I am uh, recognizing that it was a difficult and sometimes even torturing process. Oh, I, I could only imagine, but with this book written and it ready to be published, if there is an overarching lesson you want readers to take away from When Animals Dream, what would it be? Yeah, and so this goes to the motivation behind the project. So although the book is about the science and the philosophy of animal dreaming in particular, what motivated me to write the book was thinking about the ways in which the minds of other animals operate. Um, I, I think most of us often think about the minds of other animals as relatively impoverished in, in comparison to the human psyche. You know, we, we hear people say, well, animals don't really have complex thoughts. They don't really have sophisticated emotions. Their experience is almost as if you take the human experience and subtract a lot of values or, or a lot of features, and you're just left with this reduced version of, of a biological life form. And so the motivation behind this book was to take a phenomenon that I thought I could defend and attribute to other animals, in this case, dreaming, and really articulate and spell out as closely as I could the philosophical implications of, of this feature, of this capacity of the animal mind as a way of, let's just say, rendering more complex the way in which we see other animals. And the reason for this is because I, I do think dreaming raises really fascinating questions. It raises questions about animal cognition. It raises questions about animal memory. It raises questions about animal imagination. And it raises questions about the kinds of social lives that other animals lead. And the, the main lesson that I would want readers of the book to walk away from is that we have definitely underestimated other species. And I'm not here just talking about the species that we typically share um, experiences with in, in our homes, like dogs and cats, although I do talk about dogs and cats in the book, um, but animals that are relatively um, distant from human life. You know, we're talking about wild animals. We're talking about alligators, giraffes. We're talking about um, not just mammals, we're talking about birds and fish. I talk about octopi, oh, I talk about octopuses in the book as well. And what I try to do is trace a line across all these different branches of the evolutionary tree as the way of showing that things that we tend to think of as uniquely and exclusively human, again, like complex memory, complex thoughts, complex um, cognitive capacities like imagination are much more widespread in nature than we tend to believe. And so I do want readers to walk away with something akin to a sense of wonder about who other animals are. And before we let you go, what other projects are you a part of or working on at the moment? And how can our listeners get their hands on your book or check out your other work? Ah, thanks for that question. So. 
Uh, for starters, the book is already uh, available for pre-order on uh, Amazon, and people can also purchase it directly from the Princeton University Press website. Um, and I'm very happy that the book also is um, available for, it's not prohibitive, the cost, which sometimes academic books tend to be on the higher end. Uh, so this one is under $25, which is extremely good, um, especially for a, for a hardcover right uh, at, at the first publication. Now, my, can you repeat the second part of the question? <laughs> I got excited with the first part. <laughs> uh, what other projects are you a part of or working on at the moment? Ah, great. Um, there are two other projects that I'm working on at the moment. One of them is a collaboration with a group of other well-known philosophers in the US and Canada. And we are collaborating with a legal team known as the Non-Human Rights Project. And we are working on a case involving non-human personhood. So this is a lawsuit that is currently in the court system in which we are trying to argue that, that the courts should change the status, the legal status of animals from property, uh, from things that can be owned and bought and sold just like a piece of furniture to persons, to entities that have rights, including fundamental rights, like the right to, to be free, um, the right to um, not be coerced, things like that. And so I am involved in this collaborative effort that includes a host of professional philosophers who specialize on issues of animal ethics, animal rights, animal law, like myself, as well as practicing legal experts who, who know how to argue in court and uh, write legal briefs. So that's been a really exciting project um, that's been going on now for a couple of years. The first iteration of that collaboration culminated in a lawsuit in New York involving two captive chimpanzees. And the second iteration, which is currently underway, involves an elephant um, called Happy who is currently housed at the Bronx Zoo. And so we are trying to, to free Happy, Happy the Elephant. Um, so that's, that's one project that I have going on at the moment. And I am already thinking about a second book project about the minds of animals that may be something like a follow-up or a sequel to When Animals Dream. And Unfortunately, I can't say too much about it, not because I want to be secretive, uh, but because it's not yet entirely clear in my mind. Uh, there is a stage of thinking and researching and letting ideas incubate that will probably last maybe a year or so before I am ready to, to begin putting thoughts to paper. But I do plan to write a second book about the different forms that animal cognition or mental experience can take in other animals, looking at a much wider spectrum of, of mental activity than just dreaming, which is what I focus on in this particular book. Certainly sounds very exciting. And once again, that was Dr. David Peña Guzman, an associate professor of humanities and liberal studies at San Francisco State University. And he discussed his philosophical research and his upcoming book, When Animals Dream. Dr. Peña Guzman, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it.